Well, good morning, Life Point. It is great to be with you today. Thank you to Ben. Thank you to Pierre. Thank you for to Logan just for leading us in in worship today. Uh, my name is Corey, and I serve as a teaching pastor here at our Plain City campus. And today we're wrapping up our series called "Not Without Hope." And this series has found us in the New Testament book of of 1 Thessalonians, where we've been looking at this big idea each and every week, which is that Jesus is the source of our enduring hope. That Jesus is the source of our enduring hope. And and if you're new with us today, um, that big idea, uh, along with scripture from today and notes for today, can be found um, in our LifePoint app. You can access that by heading to lpguest.com in your web browser on your phone. That's lpguest.com. Or you can just scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. It will take you to those notes, but it will also take you to a digital guest card that can just let us know that you visited with us today. It takes less than 60 seconds to, to fill out. At the bottom of that digital guest card are five ministries we're already partnered with. You can pick the one that means the most to you, and we'll make an additional $5 donation in your honor. That way you can do something good and kind just for being with us today. And as we come to the end of our, our series, I hope you've enjoyed all the things that we've, we've done from the, the daily devotional to uh, just reading through the book of, of 1 Thessalonians together. But then also, I, I hope you enjoyed the, the Drivecast on our app. And I just want to let you know um, the Drivecast, which is about a, a five-minute short audio of some of the teaching pastors sharing what they, what they taught on Sunday morning. That's there each and, and every week, five days a week for you to take advantage of. And, and as we've been going through this, this series, we've been looking at, at hope. Right, how Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and how hope was woven throughout everything that he was teaching them. And, and when you think about hope, hope really deals with, with what lies ahead, right? That the past is kind of done, so hope really doesn't help us with the past. The present is happening in an instant, right? It's gone and it becomes the past. So hope almost always rests in, in what's uh, ahead of us. And whether that's, hey, we hope for better weather tomorrow or a better future job or more finances, a new home or better circumstances, hope always looks forward. And in looking forward, it's looking forward to something better, right? And there's no greater hope in any area of our lives than the hope in, in life itself. Now, my family and I have been watching this documentary called Limitless. I think there we go. Um, Limitless, it involves Chris Hemsworth who plays Thor in the Marvel movies. All of the ladies today, this is your favorite message ever because Thor is on the screen, right? Okay. So Limitless, right, is this documentary and, and it's a documentary and kind of what's at the center of it is he is trying to get his health and his body into the best shape because he wants to live well into his 90s and not just live into his 90s but be like an active, thriving 90-year-old. So he's putting his body through all these things to, to get it there. He's swimming in Arctic waters and fasting from food and climbing ropes up a helicopter, hanging over a, a canyon, all this stuff, right? And as I'm watching this, this documentary, I, I can't help but think, like, here's this guy, right? Millions of dollars in the bank. He's got wife, kids, a family around him. He's got all the looks you could ever want. He's got muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. He's, he's got it all, right? But as I'm watching the show, this one thought keeps coming through my head. He's doing all of this. 
He's, he's doing all of this because whether he realizes it or not, right, he is petrified to die. He is so scared of death that he's trying to just cling to the here and, and now. And, and so I'm not trying to make fun of um, him for taking care of his body or trying to get the most out of life. We should be good stewards of everything the Lord has given us. But at the end of the day, right, like most of us, it's about 75-ish years on this earth, about 75-ish years in, in this body. And even with that, we are not guaranteed of, of tomorrow. And when you look at the scope of all eternity, our lives are like this tiny little blip compared to all of eternity. Therefore, hope in, in what's to come, hope in, in our future, hope in life after death and eternity is extremely relevant to all of us. Now, you may not remember this, but in week one, we gave a biblical definition of, of hope. And in that defini definition, we said hope, every time it appears in, in the Bible, brings along with it confidence and security. That biblical hope means there is no doubt. Well, at the end of chapter four in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes and he explains how we can have biblical hope when it comes to the end of life whether that's personally or for those that we care about around us the most. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. It's there Paul writes, <clears throat> and he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Here's what Paul's addressing. As he's writing to the Thessalonians, what has gone on is this. There, there are some Christians at Thessalonica who had died since first hearing and receiving the gospel into their lives. And, and those Christians that were, were left had, had this misunderstanding that somehow when you believed in Jesus Christ and became a Christian, you would live until Jesus returned. Okay, And so... The Christians that are alive, they're worried about their loved ones who have passed away that knew Jesus. And so Paul writes to them about this. And I think this is great because really this is a question that we've all had at some point in time in, in our lives. The question of, hey, what happens to my family? What happens to my friends? What happens to the people I love and the people I care about who know Jesus and who have passed away? That's exactly what was these Thessalonians were, were thinking and, and asking. And it was really relevant for them because in their culture at this time, the Greeks and the Romans, when it came to death, death was the end of, of hope for them. We, we know from studying history now and what's been unearthed that the inscriptions on tombs from back then and references in literature at this time show that people viewed death as horror and the absolute end of everything. That there was no hope for someone who died. But Paul writes here and he says, hey, I want you Christians to, to know. I want you to know about those who have passed away who knew the Lord. He says, I don't want you to be misinformed about this. And he says, I want you to know the truth about this. And so what Paul writes to us next is great because he addresses three things for us. He speaks into our feelings, our faith, and our future in the next few verses. Regarding our feelings, Paul writes here in, the, in this verse, he says, hey, when it comes to the end of life, Christians... You don't have to grieve as others who have no hope. Now, just as important what Paul says 
is what Paul doesn't say. Now, Paul does not say Christians won't experience grief or sorrow. He does not say, hey, if you experience sorrow or hurt or sadness or grief, there's, there's something wrong with you. That when it comes to losing a loved one, it doesn't matter who you are, grief is normal, sorrow is normal, the full range of emotions and, and feelings are, are normal. I'll share a couple pictures with you this morning. These are pictures of, of my dad and I, two crazy Italian guys down there, right? <clears throat> this June um, will mark two years since my dad passed away. Uh, my dad was a Christian. He was a, a believer. Uh, he went to bed one night, and he simply just didn't wake up the next morning. And I will never forget the phone call that came in, right? Because as most of you know, when the phone rings super early or super late, it, it's usually not, not a good phone call. Well, the phone rang early in, in the morning, and um, it was my sister on the other end, and she was sobbing. And I'll never forget her, her first words to me. She was just like, Cor, he's gone. He's gone. Dad passed away. He's gone, right? In that moment, the rush of emotions as I sat with my legs hanging over the bed, right? The, the sorrow, the grief, the tears, all of it happened at once. There was a rush of it just flooding over me. So it's not that we do not grieve, and it's not that we won't experience the sorrow and the pain that comes with death. But what Paul is writing to, to the Thessalonians and what he's telling us here is this, is that there's something amazing when you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's this, that, that Christians can experience sorrow with hope. That Christians can experience sorrow with hope. That with death, you're either going to have one of two things. You're going to have sorrow without hope, or you're going to have sorrow with hope. But when you are a Christian, there is a sorrow with hope that you can have. And what is that hope? Paul says in verse 14, For since we have believed that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Here Paul addresses our faith. He addressed our feelings. Now he addresses our faith in saying, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Make no mistake, Christianity, our faith, it stands or it falls on the resurrection. It stands or it falls on Jesus being risen from the dead. It stands or it falls on the grave being empty. And I think the best commentary on what Paul writes here in verse 14 comes from Paul himself, what he writes to the Corinthians in his letter to the Corinthians. This isn't going to be on the screen, but, but let me read this for you. And I think it brings, brings just the best commentary, the best light into what he wrote in verse 14 in Thessalonians. So again, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13. Paul writes this, and just listen for a moment. He says, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, says it again, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ, they are lost. 
And if our hope in Christ is only for this life here on this earth, then we are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Here's the progression of what Paul is saying. He's saying if Jesus didn't, didn't rise from the dead, then death has power over Jesus and it defeated Jesus. That if death has the power over Jesus, then he is not God. And if Jesus is not God, then he cannot offer a complete and perfect sacrifice for our sins. And if Jesus cannot offer the perfect sacrifice for our sins, then our sins are not paid for. And if our sins are not completely paid for before God, then you and I are still guilty and in our sins, as Paul says here. And if Jesus has not risen, then he is unable to save. Therefore, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope, and we are hopeless. Good news, though. Paul wasn't done writing in Corinthians. He goes on to say, but, but in fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He says, so you see, just as death came into the world through one man, now resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection, Paul says. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Our faith stands on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave that he conquered sin and he conquered death and that he is alive today. It's because of that truth, hope exists. Hope that there is more than the here and now. Hope in, in an eternity where there is no more sin, no more death, no more pain, suffering, tears, no more sickness, no more sorrow. Confident hope, like God's word says, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Confident hope in what, what Jesus says when he was talking to his disciples and he says, hey, I go away to prepare a place for you and you need to know that if I go to prepare, prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and get you and take you there with me. That's why Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, through Jesus, God will bring those who have fallen asleep. We see when it comes to our faith, Jesus and the resurrection, it leads to the hope of eternity in heaven. That's why Paul says death for a Christian is like falling asleep. That it's like taking a nap. Now Paul's not making light of death's pain or difficulty or harshness. Rather he's stating the reality that for a, a Christian it's like laying down for a nap and waking up in glory. That it's like moving for us. That it's not goodbye, it's I'll see you later. It's not losing them. It's, I know where you're going and I'll meet up with you later. I've used that a couple times here this morning. A lot of times we say, we lost our loved one. I love the fact that for a Christian, that is not a true statement. We didn't lose them. We know exactly where they are at and we will find them and be with them again. I don't know if you knew this, but it was the early Christians who, who first labeled their, their burial sites as cemeteries. Right? Do you know what the word cemetery means? It means dormitory. It means a sleeping place. Interesting, huh, in light of what Paul writes here. 
That in light of our faith, what Paul is saying makes total sense that as Christians we will mourn and we will grieve and we will sorrow over the death of other Christians, but not as those who have no hope. See, I think back when my dad died, it was unbelievably painful and I was hurting. And it was my mom and, and others that, that asked frequently, hey, are, are you okay, right? Why aren't you crying more? Why aren't you more emotional? And listen, it wasn't that I wasn't crying. I wasn't emotional. I had my moments where I cried to where there were no more tears to, to cry. But underneath all of it, there was this peace beyond understanding. There was this joy that my, my dad's earthly ailments were now gone. But more than anything else, there was this hope, this confident hope that I would see my dad again and I knew exactly where he was. And that hope helped me and still helps me at times through the moments when I experience sorrow and grief. That when it comes to our feelings and when it comes to our faith, Christians do not have to sorrow as those who have no hope. And we have the hope of eternity on top of all of it. Paul references this again in verse 15 when he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Remember what Paul's doing here, right? He's answering these questions for the Thessalonians. He's addressing their worry about their, their Christian loved ones who have passed away. And, and the Thessalonians were worried that somehow the Christians that had passed away would miss out on Jesus' return, or as Paul says here, the coming of the Lord, that somehow they would be disadvantaged. Paul makes it clear here that, that Christians who have died before Jesus' return will by no means be disadvantaged, and they will not miss out, and they will share in the glory of the coming of, of the Lord. Paul then goes on in, in the next verses and he gives us this, this stirring description of, of Jesus' return. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. He says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Paul now looks toward our future, our faith, our feelings, and now our future, the future of Jesus' return. And three things here we see in verses 16 and, and 17, just to, to make note of this morning. When Jesus returns, right, it's audible, it's visible, and it's irreversible. It's audible because Paul says here there's this cry of a command, there's a voice of an archangel, and there's a sound of a trumpet. Y'all, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be loud, whether you like it or not, right? Not only is it audible, but it's visible. Paul says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. That when Jesus comes, he comes personally. I, I love that, right? That we have a personal Lord who does not send someone else to come get us. He comes personally. That he personally died for us. He personally rose from the grave he personally has a relationship with us. He personally lives inside of us and walks with us. And he's personally coming back again to take us home. And when he does, it'll be visible. He'll be visibly seen coming down from, the hev from heaven in the air. Now, I don't know who's going to see that. I don't know who's going to be paying attention to it. 
But that's not the only piece of visible evidence that will take place at Jesus' return. Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Think about this visual for a moment with you, right? right? The ground breaks open and the dead get caught up in the air, right? All those who have died, in the, the sea opens up, right? All this is happening. Be caught up in the air with the Lord, as, as Paul says. Paul gives the Thessalonians their answers about those who had passed away. He's saying, here's your answer, here's your comfort, here's your confident hope. And he says, not only are they not going to be disadvantaged or miss out on anything, he says, your loved ones who have passed away, they don't get left out, they actually get a head start. They get to go first with everything. And he says, and at the same time, then all the Christians who are alive, who remain, will be caught up and not only meet with them in the clouds, but meet Jesus. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. And, and this word here, caught up, just so you know, in, in Latin is rapto, which means to seize or to carry off, right? It's where we get our English word rapture from. I share that with you just because if you hear a Christian or some church folks around you use the word rapture, this is where it, it comes from. This is where it originates from. But what we see here is Jesus' return will be audible, it will be visible but then it will also be irreversible. Paul says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Eternity is ushered in when Jesus comes back. And Paul here gives us an amazing glimpse into our future, and he gives us this wonderful glimpse into Jesus and his return. Now I understand, right? We're in church today, and for a lot of us, we've grown up in church, that when we talk about these things, this glimpse into the future gets our brains running about things like the end times, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, which is like a thousand year reign of, of, of peace. And when it comes to these things, let me just say there are many wise, godly, saved, be there in heaven with you and I, Christians, who have different interpretations surrounding when all of this will happen. And since we're here, I'm just going to give us a brief, quick flyover of three major views of Jesus' return, just so we're aware of them. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, because later this year we're going to spend 11 weeks in the, in the book of Revelation together. But here's just a quick overview of, of three views of Jesus' return. There's premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism, right? Premillennialism is the most commonly held view in America today. It's the belief that Jesus will return before or pre this thousand-year reign of peace. A premillennialist looks at the book of Revelation as mainly something that has not happened yet. The second view is amillennialism. The A at the beginning there is, means the negation of. So the term literally means no millennium. However, amillennialists really believe that uh, the thousand-year reign is somewhere between Christ's first and, and second coming, meaning the millennium is, I'm going to get all these words all mixed up, is realized right now. Number three, post-millennialism. Three, post means after. So those folks believe that Jesus returns after the thousand-year reign, but they really don't believe the, the thousand years are a literal thousand years more. It's just kind of like a symbolic number for a very long time. 
Now, for clarity's sake, let me just say, you have to study these things for yourself and come to a biblical conclusion for, for yourself. I know, save you a bunch of emails and texts, right? Eileen, premillennial, right? That's just kind of what I've studied and I've learned. But here's my counsel uh, on this to us, okay? And please hear me on this. Be very, 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 very careful of getting wrapped up into all this stuff, of when it will happen, predicting dates, saying things like, ah, the Antichrist is in the world right now, or it's going to happen in our, our lifetime. Be very careful of that. Let me give you, you don't have to take my word for it, let me give you Jesus' wisdom and counsel on this. Here's what Jesus says. But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. And he goes on to say, not even the angels in heaven. And Jesus says, not even I, Jesus, know. He says, only God the Father knows. So let me just be clear. I don't know. You don't know. No one in this world, regardless of what they tell you, knows when this will take place. Why do I emphasize this? Sadly, I've seen it too many times, but it's this, right? I'm going to put it up on the screen here. We humans, we want a future calendar. God wants a daily relationship with us. We want to know all the dates and the times, and we'll sacrifice a daily relationship with him. Is Jesus' return closer than it's ever been? Absolutely, 100%, simply because every day moves us closer to that moment. But don't get so wrapped up in these things that we miss keeping the main thing, the main thing. And what's the main thing? Our spiritual intimacy, our daily relationship with the Lord. What's the main thing? Like Paul wrote to us and we looked at last week, so that you may walk properly and reach those around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, what if we focused less on dates and times of the future events and we focused more on making sure those around us will be caught up to meet Jesus with us during that time, right? And spend eternity with him. What if we focus less on the dates and times and we're more focused on, hey, will you be in eternity with me? Will you see Jesus face to face? Let's keep that the main thing in, in front of us. So Paul addresses our feelings, he addresses our faith, and he addresses our future. He lays out the reality and the truth and the hope in what's to come. And I love how he closes in verse 18. He says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage. He doesn't say debate. He doesn't say argue. He doesn't say slam this on, on somebody's desk or head with this. He says encourage one another with these words. Paul's goal was to give encouragement with his words and point to Jesus, the source of our enduring hope. Relevant for the Thessalonians. Relevant for you and I today. Why? Because generally speaking, when you think about it, we have all these expectations surrounding life and death, especially as we're growing up, right? We're born and we grow up and as we grow up, we, we just look at life and death and we say, ah, I think it's just, this is how it works. Everybody who's older than me, that's who'll pass away. But if you live long enough, you know, something's happened out of order. It doesn't work like that, sadly. And when those moments happen, it's really tough for us to maintain hope. Such was the reality for one of our families at, at LifePoint. And they were graciously willing to share their hope story with us today. 
And, and I'll warn you, we're going to watch this story together. This story is heavy. It, it involves losing a young person. But it shows how God gives us the capacity to experience sorrow, but sorrow with hope at the same time. Let's watch their story together. Hope is a light in the darkness. Michaela was just full of life and energy and always smiling and laughing. Everyone thought that she was their best friend um, after they met her and loved to sing and loved music and she was just really special. January 24th started like any other day. It is a somber day at Buckeye Valley Local Schools. Grief counselors are there and available to help students cope with the loss of two of their classmates. The classmates were killed in a crash on State Route 257. I saw troopers in our work parking lot and I was like, oh man, I wonder what's going on or what happened. I'll pray for whoever that is. Then the troopers came in our front door of the office and asked for me. They told me that Michaela was in a car accident and that she didn't make it. My world was knocked out from under me, obviously, and looking back, I can see how God was with me every step of the way, even though he felt really far off at the time. Obviously, you know, the pain was just very raw and intense at at first, I would try to just take walks and, and go down the road and listen to worship music, and I couldn't even bring myself to sing a single note. Um, I would just, you know, cry the whole time. He, he met me in those moments, and it's not like I heard an audible voice, but I just knew that, that he was grieving beside me. People just came beside us to bring food and to bring meals, and um, it's just very humbling to have to rely on people and need people, but you realize that that's how God set things up and how he shows his faithfulness is through people and their love and care. God's definitely just given me a different perspective now that, you know, every day is a gift and somehow I've come to learn in my journey not to ask why me, but um, to ask why not me? He's with us in the struggles and in the heartaches, and um, he will come again to, to deal with suffering and to make all things new so that when we're in heaven, um, he'll wipe every tear from our eye. And I, I'm so grateful for that, and I can't wait for that day. You can hear as tragic and sorrowful as that story is, there's beauty there. There's sorrow with hope. You can hear Charity is, is longing and hoping with confident hope the day to see her, her daughter again. And so as we get ready to, to wrap up in, in just a moment, maybe you're sitting here today, who are you looking forward to seeing again, right? I can't wait to see some of my brothers and sisters in Christ again someday. I can't wait to see my dad again. But I will be honest, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face more than anything else, to be with my Lord and Savior for all eternity. So I ask us, what's your confident hope in? Who is your confident hope in today? Ben and the worship team introduced a, a new song to us last week called You've Already 
one. And we're going to sing that song in a moment as, as we close. And there's a line in the song near the end that says, I know how the story ends. We will be with you, God, again. All that we've, we've talked about in First Thessalonians today, the song that we're about to sing, right, gives us this confident hope in a future because Jesus won this future for us. He won this future for us because he left heaven and he came to earth. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He went to the cross for you and I and he died the death on the cross that we should have died. And not only that, but he died a perfect death, the death that we could not. And in doing so, he won the battle over sin, over death, over the enemy, and over sorrow without hope. Would you pray with me today as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this text that you've included in your word today. That is there for our encouragement, as Paul says. Lord, that we who know Christ would be grateful that when sorrow comes, we have a sorrow with hope because of the battle, because of the victory Jesus has, that he won it for us. And that is no doubt how the story ends today. Lord, I also just pray for anyone that's here. If you're sitting here today and if you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'll spend eternity. I'm scared to death of, of, of death because I don't know what's I don't know what's next. Well, you can today. You can know and have full confidence that you will have all eternity with Jesus, that you will go to heaven, that you will see those who know Jesus in heaven one day if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through him. And so if you're sitting there today and you're like, I want that, I want to know today, I want to settle my eternity, I don't want to fear anymore, right where you're seated, all you got to do is say, Jesus, I repent today. I admit today. Repent means I'm just asking for forgiveness. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. And I'm saying, forgive me. I'm sorry today. I know that you came and you died and you rose again. And today, as best as I can understand it, I want to follow you. And I want to invite you into my life so I can have this confident hope in what's to come. So that I can be forgiven of my sins and know that everlasting life with you awaits. Jesus, that's what I'm asking you today. If you, if you ask the Lord that right where you're seated today, man, and he will come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. You will be in his family forevermore. You will have the hope of eternity. Jesus, we thank you for that truth today. We are encouraged by that truth today. And as we sing today, we, we sing from the victory that you gave us not just from the cross, but from the empty grave. It's in Christ's name we pray.